in this now for, for a handful of weeks, and we've looked at kind of the high-level kind of storyline of, of Job's experience and looking at various points of his life and how he, he handled his suffering. And so we've been on this journey with him, and now we've come to the end. Uh, and this is probably one of the most well-known sections of Job. Really, it's the conversation that Job has with God. And, and we heard snippets of it because really it is like three chapters long. Chapters 38, 39, and 40 are pretty much all God talking to Job. And then Job gives kind of a response. And then God is like, I'm not done yet. So I'm going to talk to you some more. And it keeps going for a handful of chapters. So we didn't read all of God's response, but, but we saw a snippet of, of God's overall response to Job and then Job's response and his actions back to God. And, and really, this is kind of the punctuation mark on the whole book of Job. And this really is kind of seeing what is the lesson that Job's story is meant for, for not only us, but for Christians for thousands of years who have read his story and we read it, and it's like, okay, so what does God want to teach us? What does he, he want us to kind of take away as kind of a main nugget of what we can apply to our own lives? And this is really kind of where we see the whole lesson of Job kind of come together of how he responds in his suffering and what faithfulness in the midst of suffering looks like. And there's really kind of two key components to it. Two key components when when Job was in his suffering and, and we see his response to God and what, what we really can see is like, okay, what is kind of the core response that we are to have in our suffering or strive to have? The first really includes this, is that really for all moments of our life, but especially when we're in suffering, we need to make sure we have a God-sized view of God. We need to have a God-sized view of God. Now, now, again, just to kind of catch you up a little bit with Job's story and how we got to his conversation with God. For, first, really, it began in, in a place that Job had no idea about. It began in kind of the courtroom of God. If you remember that from the very first week, it's this very odd and strange situation where Satan is talking to God. And, and Satan proposes the idea of, well, listen, you, you say Job is so faithful to you and trusts you. Um, well, why don't you take away his stuff? Why don't you let me uh, take away all of this stuff around him and cause suffering into his life? And, and surprisingly, God, God allows Satan to do it. But remember, um, God is the one who, who has ultimate authority and ultimate power and is not the source of evil. But, but in his grand wisdom, he allowed Satan to do only a limited number of things to Job. But, but Satan had no idea that actually when he tried to inflict pain and suffering upon Job, it would have the opposite effect. Case in point, we're still talking about Job. Satan thought that as he would inflict suffering upon Job, that everyone would forget him, that he would curse God and turn away from him. And yet we see the exact opposite. And so God was able to use even the suffering in Job's life to bring out glory and bring out goodness in the life of Job and others. And so we see that happening and then suffering hits Job and he loses nearly everything other than his own physical life. And then he has friends, and we heard about the outcome of his three friends, and God even calls them idiots, and so we can call them idiots. That's really what, what God said in the reading about Job's friends, is they had no idea what they were talking about. And they tried to give him wisdom and comfort, but they were giving him the opposite. And really they were telling Job, what did you do wrong, Job? Because you have some big suffering, so you must have done something really, really wrong. You must have done something really terrible so that all of this stuff is happening to you. 
But that was completely wrong. They had no idea how that was. And, and then the past couple weeks, we've looked at how Job has kind of matured and he's begun to transition from saying, God, why is this happening? To now he's been saying, God, let me speak to you face to face. Really, the, the last part of Job, he's been telling God, God, I just want to come before you and plead my case. And what Job has now begun to do is he begins to tell tell God, listen, God, if I plead my case before you, I'll even prove to you that this suffering I'm facing is unjust. That I'm going to go before you, God, and I'm going to prove to you that you, God, have not been acting justly. In other words, Job has now transitioned and he's now beginning to say, God, let me come before you so that I can prove that you're wrong. That's really what Job has begun to transition into. And we can look at Job and be like, wow, that's, that's something that he did. But how often do, do we do the same thing? That when we are in suffering, especially difficult, hard trials, do we, in our hearts, say to God, maybe we say it out loud or maybe we just say it to ourselves and we kind of voice it in a prayer of, God, you don't know what you're doing. I know better than you. This is unjust. I should not be facing this. I know at least for me, we can enter into those times in our own lives for myself and, and maybe you do too. Or we look to God and we say, God, you don't know what you're doing. And that's where Job is. And then surprisingly, God grants Job's request, which this, just so you know, is an ultimate case of be careful what you wish for. Oh, you want to talk to me face-to-face, Job? Let's talk face-to-face then. And maybe you missed it, but, but I want to read to you Job chapter 38. And again, this is probably one of the most famous sections. Listen to what happens. Beginning in verse 1, it said, Then Job... God answered Job out of the whirlwind, which I'll pause there. Um, Like, we just had a hurricane hit the U.S., right? Down in Florida, traveling up through the southeast. That's what God showed up to Job as. Like, oh, it's a whirlwind. No, it's like a hurricane. God showed up to Job like you were surrounded by storm and lightning and wind. God showed up to Job, like, just picture that in your mind, that you're telling God, God, I want to talk to you face to face, and then this happens to you. How many of you are like, all right, I'm still going to puff my chest out? (laughs) I know I'm not. (laughs) That's terrifying. And it says this, "Then, then God answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, who is it that has come to my doorstep that has kind of stepped in the entryway and is talking even though they know nothing. Dress for action like a man. I will question you now and you will answer me. How would you like to have that happen? God says to you, hey, I'm going to ask you questions now. You've been asking me a lot of questions. I'm going to ask you questions now and I want you to answer me. And then God goes on, where were you? So as you hear this, I want you to imagine what would you say to God? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have the understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? 
On what were its bases sunk or laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and thus said, thus far you shall come and no further and here shall, you here shall your proud waves be stayed. And then God kept going. I'm stopping there, but God kept going with more questions. It's actually quite astounding because God kind of takes Job on this like tour de force of all of creation and is like, hey, Job, do you know how to like manage the stars and all the solar systems? Do you know how to manage all the animals that are operating? Do you know how to keep all of the systems and, and ecosystems in this world and in this universe going? Job, do you know how to do that? Now, if that happened to you, what's your answer? If God showed up to you and asked you that, how are you answering? It's a, it's a scary thought to think of. But, but here's what God is trying to do to Job and really to us. He wants us to make sure we never forget that he is God. And we are not. And we need to have a right-sized, a God-sized view of God, where we look at everything around us, everything seen and everything unseen, and realize this, that, man, God is the one who made it and sustains it, and he's running this whole thing. And he is so far greater than anything you can imagine in his power, but also in his wisdom, in his knowing what needs to happen in this world and in our life. And that's incredibly important for you to never forget and lose sight of, for you to hold on to, especially in the midst of suffering. Because here's what can happen. Here's what can happen, I know for myself and, and maybe for you, is when we're in the midst of suffering or we're on the other side of it and we begin to ask, what possible reason could God have for allowing this? In my life, and somebody else's life, we begin to rack our brains and say to ourselves, God, what possible reason? And, and we can look at our life, we can look at the world, and we, we can struggle to come up with some reason that satisfies our, our understanding of our life and how the world works. And so what then can happen is we then look at God and say, God, because I can't think of or see a satisfactory answer that means there is no answer and that means you have no idea what you're doing but remember if you have a god-sized view of god you know what that means that just because you can't see why things are happening and what's going on and what god is working that doesn't mean he's not at work it actually proves that he is at work we just can't fathom everything about God. And it's important for you to hang on to that because it frees you up from you trying to figure out all the answers. We were never meant to know all the answers. We never were. We were created to recognize, firstly, there is one God. And there is no one like him. And I am not like him. And you are not like him. And he is so much greater and bigger and wiser. And when you get that, it can give you at least a little bit of peace. 
it can give you at least a little bit of peace when you return back to that truth. God, you are so much bigger than anything I can fathom. And so I can be at peace knowing that you, your wisdom is so much greater than anything I've ever seen. And it can give you a little bit of peace in the midst of your suffering, knowing that this, God's got this. God is so much bigger than anything I can fathom, and he, he's got this. He is not asleep at the wheel. But you only get there by having a God-sized view of God. But there's another thing that Job does. So he sees that. He sees the picture of God. But, but then we see really what his ultimate response is. And, and again, if you look at Job's journey, he's like up and down and up and down. And he's all over the place. So it's not like some like steady line. And, and that's really true of all of our lives, especially when it comes to faith. Is Sometimes we're feeling, man, I can really trust God in this moment. And other times it's like, man, God, I'm really struggling to trust you. I'm really struggling to turn to you right now. And, and that's okay. That's, that's like part of being human. And, and so when I tell you what Job does in response to God, know this, that it's not like Job did this all the time, every time, but it was a posture he had, and, and he tried to live this way. And this is an invitation for you to see your life in this type of posture, knowing that, that you're never going to do this 100% of the time because you're a human. And like we just took time earlier in the service to confess that, man, I'm a sinful human, and so are you. We all said it together. I heard you say it. You admitted that you're a sinner, and I am too. So when I tell you Job's response, know this, that this is the aim of our life, knowing that there will be times when we struggle to actually do it. Tracking with me? Okay. Here's Job's response. His response is of repentance. And, and repentance in the big sense of recognizing, God, I spoke when I shouldn't have. And I tried to tell you that I know better than you. That's really what Job did is, is his response to God was one fundamentally of saying that, God, I tried to tell you how to run your, your world. I tried to tell you how to run the show, and I've realized I was out of place, that that is not my job, and I repent. I turn back from that, and I turn to trust you, to trust in your wisdom, not mine. And this is really crucial to see that this is Job's response because what he's doing is he's returning to the fear of the Lord. And last week we talked about this as that's the real meaning of what true wisdom is, is the fear of the Lord. And now we're seeing Job live it out. It's not just something you read about, but rather you're seeing Job actually live in the fear of the Lord, trusting in God above himself, even in the midst of some crazy circumstances. And it's really important to remember because that's really at the root of all sin is when we turn away from the fear of the Lord. And so repentance is fundamentally this, returning to the fear of the Lord. Listen to what Job says after God kind of lays out his questions. In Job chapter 42, this was Job's response beginning in verse 1 in chapter 42. And it says this, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you, God, you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then he quotes God. So he's quoting back to God. This is what you just told me. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And then Job 
says his own words, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. I spoke out of turn. I tried to claim more wisdom than I actually have. I spoke of things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then he quotes God again and says, hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to be. Again, he's going back to what God said to him. And then Job says this, I had heard of you with my ear, but now I see you with my eyes, and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, this is Job's ultimate response when he actually gets face to face with God is he repents. He recognizes, God, you're a lot smarter than me. And I tried to tell you how to run things. And for that, I repent. I acknowledge that I'm sorry for doing it, and I turn away from it, and I give the control over to you. I turn over the wheel to you, and I say, God, you know what you're doing, and I'm not going to try and, and question you in this way. I may still question you with, with what is happening. How can you be with me? I may have questions for you, but I'm not going to question that you're the one in charge. That's what Job does. Notice what Job does not repent of. Job does not repent and say, God, I'm sorry that I did all those bad things to deserve this suffering. Notice he didn't repent of that, which is right of him to do. Because Job did not do anything that, that caused God to bring suffering or allow suffering into his life. And Job rightly understood that. But what Job fundamentally understood is this, that no matter the suffering, no matter what was in my life, I need to remember that you are God and I am not. And so for me to try and trust in my own wisdom above you, that's what I need to repent of. And that's a big distinction. He's not repenting of some sin he thinks he did that God you know, was trying to smite him. Because God already showed him that's not how he works. God already showed us that that's not how he works. But Job, in his suffering, said, I'm a lot smarter than you, God. And that's what Job realized he needed to repent of. And that's for you and me, the posture of our life, especially in the midst of our suffering, is to, to say to God, God, um, I know that you don't play tit for tat, that, that, that I did this, and so you're bringing this suffering into my life. I know you don't work that way, but, but God, I, I repent of the times when I tried to tell you how to run things. When I tried to tell you that I know more than you, that, that I'm wiser than you. God, I repent of that, and I trust in you. That, that is the response. In all circumstances, but especially in the midst of suffering. But maybe you caught it at the end of the reading. Um, the end of the story doesn't end with this conversation. No, what happens? Well, first, God kind of chastises Job's friends. Let's not forget that. He basically tells Job's friends, you better be glad Job prays for you. <laughs> That's basically what God tells his friends, because you guys are idiots. But then he goes back to Job, and what does it say that Job gets back? What does Job get back at the very end of the story? He gets back all that he had lost and more. All that he had suffered through is restored to him, and he's given more 
And for many people, we, we look at that and it, it just ends there. And there are some people who are like, well, the moral of the story then is if you trust God, if you just be faithful to him, then he will bless you with all these great things in your life and that all the suffering you face, he will restore back to you. He'll fix all of it. And that's true in a sense. It's true in the sense that there's going to come a day, and this is what Christians believe, and Job believed this, that there was, there's going to come a day where Jesus returns and every tear will be wiped away. Where everything that is lost will be given back. Where everything that we experience now will be made greater than that that is true, and that is what we aim to, and that is what we look to, is that, Jesus, there's going to come a day when you come back and you fix everything, and there's no more pain, and there's no more loss, and there's no more suffering at all. And actually, we get more than even we have now. That day is coming, but, but it's not here yet. And God does not give us promises that we will have earthly blessings now, even when we are faithful to him in the midst of our tragedies and trials. He never promises that. But we know that he is with us and that there's coming a day where everything will be restored for all of those who fear the Lord. Which, which sounds great. So that's the moral of the story of Job. Trust in God, and in the end, he will restore all things. You, you may be sitting here, though, and you may be saying, that, that, that is easy for Job, but how can I know that I can trust him? What can I do in my heart, in my life, that can strengthen my trust in him. And there's a verse that I want to point you to from Job 40, and we heard it, and it's, it's an amazing verse. And God's response to Job, and, and this I think is a key part of how you can know that you can trust God and you can give over control and you say, God, I can trust you with my whole life, even when, when I look around and it seems like chaos, I can trust you. There's a verse from Job chapter 40, verse 8, where God tells Job, he says, Job, will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And the answer in that situation is no, because Job was not in the right. And God is saying, listen, you, you don't have a leg to stand on. I am not acting unjustly. And, and God is saying to Job, like, listen, will you condemn me so that you kind of get off the hook? And the answer in that instance is no. But, but, but what if I told you that there was a time where that was true, that God was condemned so that you would be set free? Uh, Jesus Christ, on that Thursday evening of Holy Week, is betrayed by his closest friends. He's handed over to the authorities. And you know what they did? They paraded him around into a bunch of courtrooms, and they lobbed accusations at him, and they accused him of all of these wrongdoings, of all of these things. And you know what Jesus did? Did he defend himself? Did he plead his case? No. He remained silent and allowed himself to be accused and condemned. 
condemned to death. Condemned to death on a cross. And on that cross, you know what God did through Jesus Christ? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For our sake, for your sake, God made him who knew no sin, who was perfect, who was blameless, who nobody could condemn at all. He made that guy, he made him to be sin itself, to take upon all the weight of all the world's guilt and injustice so that now we, you, would become the righteousness of God. God says, will you condemn me that you are in the right? And Jesus Christ comes to you and says, that is exactly what I've done for you. Because your sin is so great, you couldn't pay it, but I have. To show you that I do love you and that I am for you. So now, when you're in your suffering you know you can trust him. Because he who had no sin became sin. He who was innocent became guilty so that you would experience his forgiveness. Job's life was going really well, and then it got really bad. And through it all, he trusted in God. Some days more, some days less, but he trusted in God, and in the end... He had everything given back and more. My hope and prayer for you is that in your life and in my life, when things are good, we trust in God. When things are not good, we trust in God. Knowing that there's coming a day where all that we have lost will be given back. And you will receive even more of the blessings and the love of God than you can even imagine. Amen.